Welcome to Pop Pantheon, the podcast where we completely overanalyze the music, legacy, and cultural impact of all your favorite pop stars. I'm your host, DJ Louis XIV, and I'm a DJ, writer, and all-around pop music fanatic. I've spent my entire life and career thinking about, dissecting, and being obsessed with pop stars. Their music, their legacies, how they relate to one another, to the larger pop musical landscape, and to culture more broadly. What separates an icon from a mere superstar? Why do some careers become the soundtrack to our lives, and why do others flop? Whose work and legacy transcends time, and whose feels stuck in it? Every episode of Pop Pantheon, we'll devote an entire episode to a pop icon. From titans of the genre like Beyonce and all the way down to uh, lesser titans like Nicole Scherzinger. Each episode, you'll hear a little breakdown from me and then some distinguished guests and I will chop it up about their careers, discographies, public personas, live performances, music videos, feuds, tweets, you name it. And at the end, we'll turn pop into fantasy football, make our final judgment and place them in the official pop pantheon. <laughs> What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Pop Pantheon. This is, of course, DJ Louie. So, 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 so happy to have you guys back here again for another incredible installment of this podcast. You guys, everyone that's been rating, reviewing, subscribing to the podcast, thank you so, so much for helping me get the podcast out there and for all of your amazing comments. I fucking love you guys so much. Just wanted to start out by saying thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody that's been doing that and helping the podcast grow. Please go on and follow Pop Pantheon on social media, Pop Pantheon Pod on Instagram, or follow me, DJ L-O-U-I-E-X-I-V on Twitter and Instagram. New York, LA, shows with Who Weekly coming up this weekend and next weekend. All info for that is in the show notes and in my bios on Instagram and Twitter. So I hope to see you guys come out to these parties and see me DJ and hear me play all of our favorite pop girlies etc etc you do not have to be ticketed for the who weekly event to come to these these are free to the public so hope to see you guys at those shows again links are in the show notes for that and tonight is the discord chat where we all talk shit about whatever pop music this episode other episodes other pop stars whatever we want so come join the discord tonight the links for that will be in the show notes as well and in my bios. It's at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Tonight, October 21st. So hope to see you guys there for the Discord. Actually, tonight, I'd like to spend some time maybe brainstorming a name for the listeners of the podcast, as was brought up on last week's mini-sode. So we'll do that. We'll do other stuff. We'll talk about this week's artist and... I think that's really all I'm going to say for now. Oh, last thing. If you have questions about anything like related to the podcast, related to pop in general, related to BB Rexa, related to Haley Steinfeld, whatever is on your mind, submit questions to poppantheonpod at gmail.com and maybe I will answer them on the off week minisode. So shoot me your questions. This week's episode is a fascinating one because it's an artist that I don't particularly care for that much, but is without a doubt a phenomenon in the pop landscape right now. And I feel like I walked away from this conversation, thanks to my incredible guest, with more of an appreciation for what he represents and why maybe his music is worthwhile. So without further ado, here is Pop Pantheon Post Malone. I'm 
Post Malone is a bit of a quagmire. As a pop star, he's at once baffling and inevitable, challenging to parse apart and foundationally simplistic, and a genre innovator who has absolutely no fealty to any genre. And while he might not be the most elegant or interesting or complex musician in his field, for better or worse, Post Malone's canny, vaporous, Spotify playlist-defining oeuvre may be our clearest indicator of how the future of pop music might sound and how pop success will operate. Post Malone oozed into public consciousness in 2015 with his viral hit, the controversial, alluring, post-Drake lament, White Iverson. The song became a topic of serious conversation on the internet, not just because of its light pathos or weightless appeal, but also as one in then a long line of hit songs by white pop artists flippantly cribbing hip-hop music, Iggy Azalea, Megan Trainor, and others among them, without any knowledge of or respect for its loaded racial history. Post responded defiantly to any criticism of him in this regard, and the flurry of talk only added to the song's ascent. White Iverson became a hit and established posts, if not as the blockbuster superstar he would eventually become, as a fascinating flashpoint for that particular moment in pop. White Iverson, when I started balling, I was young. You gon' think about me when I'm gone. I need that money like the ring I never want. I want. Post followed up White Iverson's success with his debut album, 2016's Stony. Dismissed by critics as the work of a flash in the pan attempting to replicate his one left field success over and over and over again over 18 long tracks, Stoney beat expectations by tossing off a few more minor hits, notably Congratulations and the Justin Bieber featuring Deja Vu, both of which helped Post escape one-hit Wonderville, but that while enjoyable, didn't fully indicate the onslaught of chart-topping success that would soon follow. Tell me is that deja vu? Cause you want me and I want you Tell me it's that deja vu Cause baby it ain't nothing no, no Tell me it's that deja vu Cause you want me and I want you Post's true arrival as a superstar arrived in 2018 with his absolute blockbuster second album Beer Bongs and Bentleys which beginning with the number one smash lead single Rockstar sent Post on a seemingly endless run of hits that continues through the present day. The record made Post not only the premier pop star of the streaming era, but also placed him on the vanguard of pop's genreless present by continuing to dabble in light hip-hop signifiers, but also easily absorbing and playing with numerous genres, from rock to new metal to emo to R&B, and even straight-up earwormy Taylor Swifty and pop on the undeniable hit Better Now all while never losing some ethereal, essential post-Maloneness. You know I say that I am better now, better now. I only say that cause you're not around, not around. You know I never meant to let you down, let you down. Would've gave you anything, would've gave you everything. After Beerbongs went five times platinum in the U.S. alone, Post released his third album, Hollywood's Bleeding, in 2019. Bleeding found Post further expanding away from traditionally coded rap music and into stranger, more intriguing homages to everything from Billy Joel-esque doo-wop rock to 80s arena to Foster the People-esque indie music on the massive hit single Circles. 
Its success, selling six million copies worldwide, once and for all heralded the arrival of an undeniable, if still perhaps slightly mystifying force at the top of the pop pecking has racked up over 80 billion streams on Spotify alone and is the third most streamed artist of the 2010s behind only Drake and Ed Sheeran. He's won three American Music Awards, 10 Billboard Music Awards, and an MTV Video Music Award, and he's also received six Grammy nominations. He's had nine Hot 100 Top 10 singles and four number ones. In August 2020, Post became the first ever solo artist to top both the US Billboard Rap Airplay and Adult Contemporary charts as a lead artist when Circles reached number one on the latter, with Rockstar having reached number one on the former in 2017. Here with me on Pop Pantheon today to help me understand one of Pop's biggest and most bewildering forces is renowned music journalist, Larry Fitzmorris. All right, so I'm here with writer and editor and author of the amazing newsletter, Last Donut of the Night, which you should absolutely subscribe to. Larry Fitzmorris, welcome to the podcast. How's it going? It's going good. I'm really glad to have you here. And I'm... It's very glad to have you here because we're talking about an artist that I feel like I could really use your expertise and understanding <laughs> because I, 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 well, I'll put it to you this way. I, I'm a, I'd say I'm a casual fan observer, obviously, as anybody who is engaged with pop music on any level, you know that this man, Post Malone, is like a huge phenomenon. I can't say it's he's somebody that I get on a like super deep level, so I'm really looking forward to like having this conversation with you and hoping that maybe you can help me get it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, aren't we all just trying to get Post Malone uh, at all times, essentially? it's He's kind of hard to understand, I feel like, for so many people, even though it's so simple what he does. It's really bizarre. Well, I think he's kind of like weird. I, as I was like listening back to his music, which I did, by the way, on a 105 degree day in LA, hiking in Griffiths Park, and it was kind of like a psychedelic experience. I think maybe that's the setting that you're supposed to absorb Post Malone, like looking out over hazy Los Angeles and feeling like you're overheating and sweating and something about the haze of that experience made the music make more sense to me. But one thought that I had when I was doing my listen back was he's kind of at once a very unlikely pop star. I mean, he's not conventionally good looking. He's And he doesn't operate obviously like the emblematic pop stars of yore. He's not like a singer, dancer, showman type of Michael Jackson-esque pop star. But at the same time, I was also thinking, in a way, if you think about the way that music has gone in terms of the way genre has broken down, the way streaming is, you know, obviously the centerpiece of how people consume music, he is, in a way, inevitable at the same time as being unlikely. Yeah, I mean, the way I kind of think of him at this point, he's almost something out of the fifth element. To me, in that like the fifth <laughs> element, like kind of offers like a view of a dystopian future where like a lot of like major facets of society are still in place. It just looks a little off and a little different, a little maybe like unquantifiable. I feel like Post Malone would fit perfectly into that type of universe, even though maybe the, I mean, it was not the reaction I had when I first encountered him. But <laughs> ever since I'm like, I feel like in 2021, this guy makes more sense than most people making pop music right now which is like kind of kind of just like a strange place to arrive in 
What, what do you think it is about the current state of pop music that makes him make so much sense? I mean, it's kind of built in his image, right? Every time I read an article or a piece of criticism that talks about how pop music has become kind of homogenous in terms of the streaming era and what you have to do to kind of like game the algorithm, so to speak. I think a lot of that stuff is always overstated, but the kind of person that's just off camera that those comments are reaching towards is Post Malone to me. He kind of built, maybe unwittingly, the sound of this era of pop music. It's a little murky. It has roots in hip-hop. It has roots in rock. Some variants of emo. But it kind of sounds like this purpley soup that (laughs) congeals in your ears. So I kind of think of Post Malone like an oil slick, almost. just reaches out and covers so much. And you don't even notice the area that it's taken up until you realize it's just all over everything. Absolutely. I think that's such an apt descriptor because in a way, when you listen to his music in like a long form way, like if you're consuming it as an album, it's a definition of like what it's a vibe Mm, to me in a sense. The songs are somewhat indistinct from one another and they just, it just sort of is a mood that washes over you for an hour and a half. That's like, you know, I mean... I don't know. I don't want to be like derogatory right off the bat, but it's not like always enjoyable. Like it's, it's, it's <laughs> kind of like a, it's, it's kind of just like, as you're getting at it as an oil slick, it sometimes feels like a little bit of like a dark sludge to me. Mm. Maybe that's like a, maybe oil slick is a kinder way of putting that, but like one long vibe yep. is what I get when I listen to a Post Malone album. Yeah. I think that's really accurate. It's funny because like there are these peaks and valleys where for music that sounds so in between, as a whole every post malone song is either like strangely iridescent glimmering beauty of a piece of music or it's like the worst thing you've ever heard and it's just such a drag (laughs) and there's no in between like there's no post malone song even though so much of it is background music if you're if you're applying a critical eye to any song that he has made there's no like oh you know this just is it's either like oh this is very pretty and you know he kind of hit pay dirt here or like oh this is so miserable like <laughs> miserable true true mi- honestly it, this is like the epitome of sort of the irritating white boy uh, angst and paranoia yeah. that like i think people in society either love or really brace against and he epitomizes that to me just listening to this man sing over and over again about women treating him badly and getting fucked up you know it's like gothic frat boy music uh, yeah, yes, that's a, that's a really that's a really good way to refer to it. <laughs> and I think as you were sort of getting at the sameness is part of the success because the way that you rack up, you know, whatever, 83 million streams a, a month or whatever his thing is on Spotify and like he's the king of streaming is by making music that can double as background music because they get thrown on these playlists and they get thrown in everybody's ears whether they want it to be there or not and it kind of has to be this sort of music that you could consume either actively or passively and his music really works in that way yeah totally okay so let me take us back here for a second i want to like set this up for people because as i said maybe now i sort of think of post malone as inevitable but when he first broke through i remember being like what the hell so let's go back to the mid 2010s if you will which feels approximately 3800 years ago (laughs) And talk about how Post Malone came, as you put it in your 
brilliant Vice piece, which I will link in the show notes here, which is both very insightful about Post Malone and extremely funny. So I can't, I hope everybody <laughs> reads it. But Larry referred to Post Malone as Pop's most suffocating presence. So let's talk about how Post Malone got to become Pop's most suffocating presence. So rewinding us back to the mid-2010s, what is going on more broadly as you see it in Pop? Pre-White Iverson's sort of breakthrough, what's the aesthetic center of pop in 2015, let's say? If you even want to go back further to like 2010 to 2015, because everything leads up to this moment, so to speak, this year for pop music. Pop is undergoing a series of identity crises that is primarily driven by the fact that certain figures that ascended to fame in the beginning of the decade, like Katy Perry is a really good example of Teenage Dream being such a blockbuster in the beginning of the decade. You know, you're kind of seeing them already, if not necessarily totally lose their stature, just start to fade in the background as black pop music becomes the predominant sound of pop music in general, which is Mm. obviously kind of where we're at in 2021 at this point. But prior to that, you have a few different weird attempts to try and figure out what exactly pop music is, right? So you have EDM coursing through the veins. Then you have in reaction to that a brief idea of, oh, well, maybe acoustic music is actually the way forward. So you have Mumford and Sons, you have Phil Phillips, you have the Lumineers. have a lot of those different very reactionary approaches to the EDM wave which petered out pretty quick and also took a few different parallel to Post Malone iterations but you know all these attempts fail and by the time you get to 2015 it's pretty clear who the biggest stars in the world are especially when you talk about who Post Malone's biggest precedent is which is Drake. Drake had built an aesthetic as of 2015 very healthily off of infusing straight R&B tropes into hip hop. Just hold on, we're going home. Just hold on, we're going home. It's hard to do these things alone. Just hold on, we're going home. Oh, oh, oh. Which itself was jumping off of 808s and Heartbreak, the Kanye album. And Drake himself, through taking that influence of 808, he ends up influencing almost every single corner of pop music as a result. And in terms of lyrical approach, in terms of sound, I think in 2021 we think of somebody singing and rapping alternately on a track as just something we're very used to. But there were right. there was a few years there where it was like, oh, what is this? He can't do that. Or, oh, he's doing something we're not used to before. So you see Drake breaking a few boundaries sonically in terms of rap, R&B, but just pop music at large, which is kind of where Post Malone arrives. I'm really curious to hear what your first experience was with White Iverson. Considering everything that's come since, it's such a strange introduction to him in general. I'm swagging, I'm swagging, I'm swagging, oh. I'm ballin', I'm ballin', I've a song on you. 
watch out, oh watch out, oh watch out, yeah. I smash out, I smash out, I smash out, yeah. I'm spending, I'm spending on my fucking pay. My reaction to White Iverson was, I thought it was a very pretty song. I had absolutely no idea this was presaging one of the bigger pop stars to come in the later part of the decade. I definitely coded it as rap, first of all, which is like, I think, an interesting thing when you're looking back at Post Malone as somebody that's definitely helped completely obliterate the notion of genre and pop. But I definitely thought it was just kind of like the viral rap hit of the week. I mean, that was like the thing that was going on at that time. And I guess still to this day, in the sort of rap subgenre of pop, which is like hard to differentiate at this point from the center of pop, as you were getting at, there's a very easy swinging door of artists that have a viral internet hit and then just sort of fade into oblivion or like have a big moment and just fade into oblivion very, very fast. Differently than I think like more traditional pop artists who trade in what we think of more traditionally as pop. I feel like rap is very fertile ground for artists to have a huge viral moment and be like the song of the moment. And I'm a DJ, so I really can see that occur like in front of me with people in a club. So when I heard White Iverson, I was like, oh, White Iverson, this is the rap viral moment of this week. I can't say that I had any indication that this was an artist that was going to have so much meaning. You know, you did a really nice job of setting up White Iverson as in the sort of children of Drake era of pop that was occurring in the mid 2010. So if you had to say, what is the sound of White Iverson? And what did you think about White Iverson when you- So with me with White Iverson, I kind of have to give a lot of credit to Maura Johnston for this. She came up with the term around the early 2010s of troll gaze, (laughs) which she used it to refer to the Midwestern, I don't even know how to describe their sound at this point, but the Midwestern musical group known as Salem, who were very controversial. When they came out in the early 2010s, they emerged with a sound that combined a lot of different elements of disparate genres, Houston hip-hop, R&B, electronic music, trance, classic indie pop. Is this kind of like an indie parallel to what Drake is doing in mainstream pop with in terms of genre collapsing? Yeah, I think so. But the funny thing was that they came out around maybe me i feel like salem's big moment was about a year before drake started to be really taken seriously by both audiences and critics so you had a lot of people scratching their heads and being like well these are three white people essentially bastardizing black music and (laughs) making a mockery of it they're they're pitching their voices down they're they're using the chopped and screwed approach dj screw rest in peace pioneered these are kind of like early discussions of cultural appropriation and digital blackface that are taking place around this band so when i heard white iverson the first thing i thought about right was salem here's this guy with face tattoos he's a white guy and he has a look that's like equal parts interesting and just kind of boring i see post Malone and i'm like yeah he's like a white punk you'd see in like a suburban strip (laughs) 
He's like the emblematic middle American party frat boy at a community college. I don't know. Like that was the vibe that I got when I looked at it. So like, you know who another person was who came out right around this time was Megan Train with All About That Bass. Wow. I did not see that coming, Larry. I, can't, <laughs> I have to tell you, that was not where I thought you were going, but please go on. <laughs> you had Megan Trainer come out with All About That Bass. Because you know I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, 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 bass. Yeah, it's pretty clear. I ain't no size two, but I can shake it, shake it like I'm supposed to do. Cause I got that boom, boom that all the boys chase. All the right junk and all the right places. You had Iggy Azalea around with Fancy at that time. First things first, I'm the realest. Realest. Drop this and let the whole world feel it. Let them feel it. And I'm still in the murder business. I can hold you down like I'm giving lessons in physics. Right, right. So when White Iverson starts making the rounds, everybody kind of has this reaction of like, oh, this is more cultural appropriation. And this is when cultural appropriation is starting to become like a buzzword with white people. Right. Where when they don't really know how to talk about something regarding race in popular culture that involves another white person, but they don't want to step too far out of their own boundaries. They say it's cultural appropriation. And most of the time they're right. Mm. Uh, They're accurate about that maybe like 85, 95% of the time. So you hear White Iverson where a guy is literally making a reference to being the White Iverson. (laughs) And you're like, okay, this seems like we're being trolled a little bit. It seems like the latest instance of cultural appropriation. White Iverson, when I started balling, I was young. Think about me when I'm gone. I need that money like the ring I never want. I want. Right, right. So talk to me about what White Iverson sounds like. What is the sound of White Iverson? It sounds Iverson? like jeweling to me. Like it sounds like it's. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like vapor. It sounds like electronic nicotine. It's there and then it's gone. Maybe you can catch a whiff if you're close enough to it, but otherwise it just kind of disappears into the air almost immediately. There's something sort of pretty about it. Yeah. I think one of the worst kept secrets about Post Malone is the fact that he has a pretty nice voice. He knows how to use it. Like this isn't like a chain smoker situation where you put the guy on the national stage and you're like, oh my God, this guy can't sing. He knows what he's doing in that sense. Bitch, I'm saucing, I do the softing, don't do no talking. My options right when I walk in, jump on them Jordans, I'm balling. Money jumping, like I'm Davis from New Orleans. Oh, bitch, I'm hiding, I don't miss nothing. For practice, this shit just happens, no, y'all can't stand. I found there's some actual pathos there, like that's like clockable. Yeah. There's something sad about Post Malone and sort of broken that registers in his vocals on that song and throughout even that first record, there's something genuinely sort of like that makes me empathize with him because there is something sort of almost like foundationally sad Mm. about his voice. I mean, like this is where we go back to Drake a little bit too, right? Because like one of the many approaches that kind of Drake, I don't want to say pioneered because so much of what Drake did is essentially borrowed, but you know, something that he was very influential about in his early years was this idea of like in the beginning of fame you're already exhausted by fame it, it like you know you're, right. you're you're anticipating the the mid to late period burnout 
that ended up being kind of like a millennial condition as well. Cups of the rose, bitches in my old phone. I should call one and go home. I've been in this club too long. And you have with White Iverson and a lot of the songs on Stony. Uh, Congratulations is another great example of this, where he's he says, you know, mm-hmm. work work so hard, I forgot to vacation, and it's like. You know, there's a good chance that Congratulations is the first song you've ever heard by Post Malone. And this guy's already saying right. that he's so tired he needs to take a break. My mama calls, see you on TV. Sunset shit done changed ever since we was on. I dreamed it all ever since I was young. They said I won't be nothing. Now they always say congratulations. Work so hard, forgot how to vacation. There's like something relatable about that, but there's also something a little ridiculous about it. And like, it's there's an appeal right. in both ends of that. Yeah, maybe that's the secret of Post Malone is like, it's at once like grandiose and relatable. Like the first song, White Iverson, as we're talking about, the lyric is when I started bawling, I was young. And I'm like, oh, you're bawling? Like you haven't even, like you have a fucking record deal? What are you bawling about? Can we talk about just for a second that he's 26 years old? He's 26 yeah. years old. You know, I, I, I had this with Lord when we did the Lord episode. I was like, I can't believe we're talking about 10 years of music of a person that's 24. Oh my God. Yeah. Like what is going on? All right. After White Iverson became, you know, a big hit. I mean, it did. I mean, I don't know how to quantify hits anymore because whatever, but it hit number 18 on the hot 100. But I guess my bigger question for you is here. Were there any indications to you that this man was going where he was going after that song became successful? So we're looking at like maybe like a year. After White Iverson makes the rounds, where this guy, like, this is it, and he has maybe, like, two two more singles out. They don't really, like, they don't really register. Go Flex in 2016, I think, peaks at number 76 on the Hot 100. Man, I just wanna go flex. Hold on my teeth and on my neck. And I'm stone cold with the flex with my squad and White Iverson just kind of like, it's like, whatever, you know, it's kind of like a flashpoint thing where you see people just mention it occasionally. And then for me, Sony came out in 2016, right? So Deja Vu yeah. was a single from that where I heard, I hadn't, I really hadn't heard anything about him other than a friend being like, you know, like, LOL, have you listened to the Post Malone album? And I was just like, I, you know, <laughs> I haven't. And if that's the way I'm being asked this question, I probably won't. But um... <laughs> an album, by the way, that Pitchfork referred to as "quote unquote" completely soulless. Go on. <laughs> it's not not inaccurate. So I'm li- I was listening to I don't know if he still has it, but Diplo used to have a really good BBC show, Diplo and Friends, where he would do his own two hour mix, and it would just be, you know, kind of like a master at work type thing, just throwing in a bunch of unreleased stuff and kind of recontextualizing stuff that's on the radio and I hear deja vu. Now you pennies on the dresser, your hair getting messed up, the feeling we catch my love is a blessing, my love in Alexis, my love in Alexis, I know you remember. Tell me it's that deja vu, cause you want me and I want you. Tell me it's that deja vu. I was like, well, this, like, I hear Bieber's voice on it, and suddenly I hear Bieber and Post, like, rubbing against each other sonically, and I'm like, this is quite pleasing. Like, this is, 
This is very good, and this is also kind of not what I expected from Post Malone. Yeah, it's, what's interesting about Deja Vu is, A, the Bieber co-sign, I feel like, was pretty huge. To be a sort of a, vi- a rapper with one viral hit and then have one of the biggest pop stars on the world sort of co-sign you obviously was like a huge moment of, oh, we're giving this guy a second look. And also, Deja Vu, which to me, when I was listening back to it, I was like, this literally is Hotline Bling, mm, like part two. Yes. A- and I think it has a lightness to it that he doesn't, touch on enough in my opinion yeah. in a lot in his first couple of albums but there's something almost lighthearted about that and like less self-serious than a song like white iverson and a lot of what happened on stony so i can understand why that sort of jumped out at you yeah it's a very casually romantic song really as somebody who really likes a decent amount of justin bieber's music and who thinks he's you know undeniably talented i I hear these two in congress with each other and then i think about that sense and i'm like this makes so much sense i mean bieber is another white star who has been entrenched in black music for the entirety of his career you know i i I thought about bieber quite a lot listening to post because i thought a well, first of all, as you were saying, Bieber became famous singing Chris Brown and Usher and Boys to Men songs mm. on YouTube. So talk about somebody that, you know, has utilized markers of hip hop culture and R&B culture at, to their advantage and also has quite a fluid relationship to it. I mean, one thing you could say about Post and Bieber in the context of the cultural appropriation conversation, which I think often gets lost on a certain level, is the nuance of like, is this artist actually like naturally fluid with this Mm. music or are they trying it on as an outfit? It's like, and that to me is what separates Justin Bieber, who has had a proven, you know, 12, 15 year relationship where it's very obvious that Justin Bieber reveres and grew up on R&B and hip hop music and it's in his DNA. And I think that really shows in a lot of his music or someone like Miley Cyrus, who, you know, in 2012 basically tried on hip hop as a total costume. And there's a nuance to that that I think sometimes gets lost in the cultural appropriation conversation. And I think it's something that Post Malone also, it's like when you listen to Post Malone, it's like, yes, this is a white guy so obviously that creates a complicated dynamic with the fact that he's engaging with hip-hop and r&b signifiers but at the same time it didn't feel like costuming to me even in this early phase like he very much made sense to me as a hip-hop r&b adjacent artist and the other thing that came to mind with me about bieber is as we were listening through his discography is i was like if justin bieber were truly free to do the kind of music that he wanted to would it sound like post malone's music I mean, I think I, I think so. Yep. I, I think that you can hear a little bit of post influence on kind of the last couple of Bieber albums in general. I mean, it's it's minor, and again, it's kind of like a mirror looking at a mirror a little bit, but definitely on changes. Definitely, on definitely changes. on changes. You know, around the time Stony comes out, Double XL tries to get him on the cover, and he turns it down. Right, and there's right. Th- there's this confusion this kind of mini controversy that takes place where it's his team is saying that it's a scheduling issue, but double XL are saying that they were told by his team that he didn't want to be identified with rap in any way, shape or form, which is fascinating. Yeah. It's really interesting. Cause I mean, you know, he's, you know, again, like it's like, you look at the singles, like, yeah, he's got Bieber on deja vu, but he's got Quavo and congratulations at Migos's arguable 
peak of mass pop cultural visibility. But Post Malone is saying, despite all these direct hip hop influences, which are 150 million percent undeniable if you just listen to his music. It's it's crazy. And like he does this maybe like 18 month period of time between Stoney and Beer Bongs where he's like self-consciously distancing himself from all things race, including hip hop. So he does an interview with this random Polish website, New Once, where he says, if you're looking to think about life, don't listen to hip hop. And th- right. <laughs> then he claims that he, he you know, afterwards is like, oh, I was drunk. And they're like, he wasn't drinking. So that doesn't make any sense. You know, it has an almost like all lives matter vibe to it. I mean, his the infam- he was infamously asked in 2017 on The Breakfast Club what he was doing for the Black Lives Matter movement. And from what I remember, his, his immediate response was not much. What are you doing for the Black Lives Matter movement? <laughs> what? I don't know. Is that a serious question? Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. If anything. I feel like, you know, and and that's funny too, actually, that you brought that up because I have a song called Too Young. Okay. And you know, in Dallas, um, a kid named Christian Taylor got shot and killed. And, and, you know, a week before that happened, you know, he tweeted the lyrics to my song, which was like, it was like prophetic. What was the lyrics? I don't want to die too young. Wow. And... That's crazy that he was listening to my song, you know, and he tweeted it and it, it happened, you know, it's, it's, it's wild. And I don't know what the, I don't what know they have to the, do with Black Lives Matter. I guess like, you know, there's an honesty there that's like, well, at least, at least he's like telling the truth. But like, what is the reluctance here? Like, why, why is he kind of like self-consciously being like, I'm not a rapper. I, I'm not associated with hip hop. You have to imagine that it's a branding thing, you know, kind of watching what happened to Iggy Azalea, who almost overnight, like within the span of six months, went from like, is is rap about to be populated by, you know, white Australian women to like, this is like the worst right. pop star we've got Watch. and she's never going to do another thing again. I think even it might be less calculated than that in the sense that like, there's a generation of white people that have grown up with hip hop culture so deeply ingrained in the center of pop culture that there is maybe a certain lack of even awareness on some level. I guess my point is it's so foundational especially to someone who's 24 years old, like Post Malone is, that they almost don't even recognize how much it's in their DNA and like have the ability to even discern like, oh, I need to like have some sort of reverence for the fact that I'm trading in this black art form. Totally. totally. There, there's also a really interesting quote I want to bring up around this time too, because, you know, like 2016, 2017, this is when like Post Malone's like gang ready to be famous, but like everyone's like, is this a fluke? What is this? And Rob Stevenson, an executive at Republic Records, in a Post Malone profile in the LA Times, right before Trump is elected, refers to him as the Donald Trump of hip hop in terms of hmm. how nothing sticks to him. Like he, it's impossible right. to cancel Post Malone. And I mean, like, look, like we were going through a phase culturally, we're still stuck in it, where, you know, Trump is like an easy comparison point the same way like Harry Potter is, you know? But, um... Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> Although quite different. <laughs> yeah, quite, quite different. different, but yeah. But putting, putting that aside, there is this kind of awareness that you see there that we've seen borne out in the five years since where it's like, yeah, like, I guess it is kind of impossible. If you have the right people behind you at this point, and if you have the machine behind you, it's kind of impossible to get you know quote unquote canceled for stuff like that at this point it has to be a very extreme instance i, I think of the baby is maybe the most recent example of somebody who really seems to be done 
for like a good period of time. We'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. I still heard the baby remix of Levitating at the gas station. <laughs> no, I, I hear you. You um. know, but I do think it what it represents, and I think the way Post handled some of this stuff that does make him similar to Trump is you have to cancel yourself in some ways. Like, mm. if you have shame, if you are able to be shamed, you can be canceled. Yes. If you are not able to be shamed, like Donald Trump, you kind of can't be canceled. And I think Post did subscribe to some of that by saying what he said about the black light. Like, he had an unapologetic attitude, or let's say unapologetic is kind he had a unself-aware attitude or whatever i don't know exactly even how to describe it about his transgressions or about his his sort of use of black signifiers and i think if you have that attitude especially if you're a white guy who's playing largely to other straight white men who probably like identify quite a lot with like not wanting to be called racist, not wanting to have to like prove fealty, you know, they're that's, that's the Trump phenomenon. And I think that's the post phenomenon. I think most of post fans are white guys that grew up. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, that grew up with hip hop, like in their DNA in a way that they weren't even totally aware who do not really have like a super intellectually driven relationship to like what that means in a broader cultural context and probably loved his defiance of that sort of thing in the same way that like white people, racist white people love Trump's defiance of that. You know what I mean? Well, here's my thing. And like, I'm like, I'm asking this sincerely. Does Post Malone have fans? Because like, I don't know, Larry, I'm trying to help you. You're here to tell me that. So Stoney spins off a few hits. Again, I think to me, I'm surprised that Post Malone is like sticking around longer than the one song. What is the broader critical and sort of like cultural perception of Post Malone after Stoney kind of like becomes, I'd say a minor hit. Again, I don't think we have a full indication of how big he's going to become on the next record after that album. Like, is he still mostly kind of reviled? Is it sort of like still feel novelty? Like, what is the sort of broader cultural assessment of Post Malone in like late 2016, early 2017? Well, I think there's this kind of reaction to him in terms of like, are we really going to have to keep doing this? Like, um, <laughs> and, and this being, you know, kind of continuing to champion in the critical eye, kind of like mediocre white men, mm-hmm. just for kind of putting in the bare minimum, which looking at Post's music a certain way, is it does sound like the bare minimum if, if you know, you're of a certain critical mindset. You know, I, I mean, like, I mentioned the Chainsmokers before, who, they're one step away from working at Goldman Sachs at this point, obviously, but, um, <laughs> you know. I think they did do a show for Goldman I, Sachs. Yep. And they in the pandemic. They sure did, in, mm-hmm. in the Hamptons, mm-hmm. I believe. Yes, indeed. I think there's this kind of fatigue around right. 2016, and, um, you know, sociopolitical factors play into this, too, where it's like, you know, we have so many promising slash obviously successful pop stars who aren't Post Malone. Like, why are we doing Post Malone? <laughs> well, what are we doing here? I shared that perspective. <laughs> I mean, we all did. I mean, maybe we all did, but Post certainly didn't. So Post Malone ri- rolls right out of Stoney's sort of like series of minor slash semi-major hits, but like insert everything we've talked about here directly the next year in 2017 into the biggest smash of his career. This song, Rockstar, featuring 21 Savage, which becomes the lead single from his blockbuster sophomore album, Beer Bongs and Bentleys. I've been fucking hoes and popping pillies, man, I feel just like a rock star. All my brothers got that gas and they always be 
smoking like a rock star. Fucking with me, call up on no Uzi and show up, man, them the shot toss. When my homies pull up on your block, they make that thing go grata ta ta. I don't personally like that song, but it is the moment where you're like, oh my God, like this guy is a pop superstar. I mean, that song was humongous. And I thought it was really fascinating because even more so than some of his other songs, for someone who's trying to distance himself from hip hop, it sounds directly like a hip hop song. I mean, it's like a 21 Savage Ooh. song. 21 Savage, why you trapping so hard? Why do you niggas capping so hard? Why you got a 12 car garage? Why you pulling out the rap's card? Like it's very sort of like how would it, like horror post horrorcore trap rap. I don't yeah. know whatever you would call Twenty One Savage's sound. But I thought it was interesting that given our conversation about post sort of like dismissal of his hip hop signifiers, that the 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 name of his big massive sort of like superstar establishing hit is called Rockstar <laughs> because <laughs> while it may not sound like a rock song really at all. It does seem sort of poignant to me, given like where things have gone with him, that like that was a moment where he was maybe stepping more fully into, hey, I'm actually like the face of pop music's genreless present or future or whatever. Yeah, and can I just say, Rockstar, as as somebody who like likes a good amount of Post Malone's music, Rockstar is an awful song. It is just oh, I hate terrible. that song. Like. That was one of those songs where I was like, if this is number one for whatever many weeks, like maybe I am just old. Maybe <laughs> I am just like, maybe I, maybe I have lost it. Like, I don't know. It was that song just like, it's again, it's like, I keep coming back to this notion of operatic frat bro. Ugh, like I just, it just is like a dirge to me. Yep, it's But a it's such a song. big hit. Huge. I wonder, is there something about the sound of Rockstar, like despite how much we both seem not to like it, that tells us something about like, where pop music was at in 2017. Is there an evolution we can point to sonically in the sound of Rockstar from the Stony era that tells us something about A, where pop is and where post-centrism is being established within it? Well, it sounds it sounds like it could fit in on any number of playlists right. in terms of streaming. And, you know, right around that time you have Drake releasing More Life, which... Right. It's him very consciously doing like a playlist as an album. Right. An assortment of sounds and, you know, kind of like, you know, intentionally and inadvertently drawing a lot of connections between right. different sounds across genre and across the world, across racial divides. Passionate from miles away. Passive with the things you say. Passing up on my always. I can't blame you now. Rockstar has this kind of like just their presence sonically. I mean, like it would fit in great in the middle of more life. <laughs> like if you threw it on there, you probably wouldn't bat an eye. Oh, eyelash. Larry, no, <laughs> don't say that. More life is like a bubbling light. Uh, like confectionery Bob, like I, Rockstar is like a dirge. But like it's it's oh all about the God. speed it operates at, right? Because you have posts like da 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 da. Like th that's that's like him in like a Formula One car compared to his previous work. Right. So you're saying that's the evolution? Yeah. Like, we're he, getting like a melody and a repeated melody a, of some a repeated sort of melody and a little bit memorable? of speed. Like right. there's there's propulsion. It's like the song right. seems like it's taking you 
somewhere, even if you're not crazy about the destination, so to speak. Yeah, and also it's dealing with of increasingly popular subject matter, which is popping a lot of pills. You, we may we may eventually decide that Post Malone does not have actual fans, but whoever like the people are that are like buttressing this song's success, that's also speaking to a certain experience that clearly is kids these days seem to like be like wanting to hear songs about because how many songs do we now have about popping pills and like that being like sort of the route to a party record that's very different from our generation you know like that was we had very different um uh signifiers within pop music that were about partying and like i feel like that was a song that really crystallized this like sort of sub 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 genre of pop songs that's all about like pills as it relates to being a kid and partying. And so does beer bongs and Bentleys take us further into something tangible about what makes Post Malone good? Are there things we can point to on that second record, which I guess I should point out here, tosses off numerous gigantic hits. Mm. Like we have the song Psycho. Damn, I ain't be going psycho. The mama bad like Michael. Can't really trust nobody with all this jewelry on you. My roof look like a no show. Got diamonds by the bolo. Come with the Tony Homo for clowns and all the balls. I ain't be going psycho. The mama bad like Michael. Can't really trust nobody with all this jewelry. We have Better Now. Better Now. Better Now. This album is a is the definition of a streaming blockbuster. Yes. It's like really one after the other after the other after the other. It is punishingly long. <laughs> I do not recommend anybody sit down and listen to this thing all the way through as I did the other day. I couldn't I literally wrote down in my notes, is this still happening? Is this still happening? But within there, I found that I started to pick out things that actually he's quite good at. And one of the songs that really crystallized to me that he's actually like a pretty gifted songwriter is better now because that's like a brilliantly written pop record. Yep. Agreed. I, I love <laughs> I, I, I love Better Now. Better Now is kind of the same like sugary loop. When I wrote about Post for Vulture back in 2018, I described his like his most pleasing moments as like him sounding like he has like a mouthful of Skittles. Like you know those Skittles commercials where like the Skittles just like pour out <laughs> of like various holes in orifices. Like that's what he yes. sounds like. I mean, Better Now is this kind of like a, a, like assault of his voice in that very like tangy upper register. Nothing but pure melody every line servicing the hook life it goes on what can you do i just wonder what it's gonna take another foreign or bigger change because no matter how my life has changed i keep on looking back on better days you probably think that you are better now right it's a pop song it's a straight up pop record like i'm like oh better now post malone has some taylor swift in him that was where things started to click a little bit for me and better now codes way less to me as a as a hip-hop song like i think the other thing that's sort of interesting about beer bongs and bentley is you really do start to sort of see the sort of like genreless smear aspect like it doesn't sound just full post drakey to me it's like you know you listen to the hook of spoil my night and it sounds so much like nirvana in bloom so you hear that rock kind of influence
songs like Over Now have these like big live rock drums on them. I sort of see some of like the things that make Post actually sort of interesting and intriguing as an artist as opposed to just being interesting to me as like a museum piece about like what's popular now and I don't understand it but like let's try to figure it out. On a song like Better Now I'm like oh this man knows how to like write a fucking great pop song period that doesn't need to have like serious hip hop signifiers or like it's just a great sort of like straightforward pop record in a way yeah no totally i mean like again we talked about this with the previous singles too it almost is kind of like an outlier again on on yeah, on the record right. because post malone sound never changes i feel like i mean like right. th- th- there's like right. small shifts and there's tweaks but it's almost always the same and anything that is pulled into his orbit orbit kind of becomes him so to speak. Like, um, right. he interpolates Time of the Season by the zombies on Same Bitches. And it sounds so at home. It, like, him just throwing that line of melody in there, and you're like, oh, God, he did it again. What's your name? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Is he rich like me? What's your name? Who's your daddy? Is he rich like me? That's a sign to me often of a great pop star is is that you have the ability to suck things in without losing your identity. I mean, so many great pop stars have been able to do that, whether you're talking about Janet Jackson on Rhythm Nation, she could make a rock song, she could make a song with hip-hop influences that all sounded like very unified to like their aesthetic. Or if you're thinking about Taylor working with Max Martin, it's like Taylor was able to work with this a very overbearing Svengali-ish pop producer who had worked with everybody, but still sound very much like Taylor. Or Drake, obviously being, I think, the prime notable example Example. It's like no matter what subgenre Drake dabbles in, whether it's Houston hip hop or it's, you know, Afro beat or it's dance hall, it all comes through the machine and sounds like, like a Drake song. Yep. And to me, I think the fact that you point that out about Post actually speaks to whether or not like we can appreciate it and love it as music. That does speak to something powerful about his aesthetic. There's something very singular about it that he's able to keep in play even as he dabbles in a lot of different genres, like he's he touches on R&B on this record. He touches on rock in, in, ver- in various forms, as we've touched on. He touches on pure pop. But yet the whole thing still sounds like 120 minutes long. Yep, yep, exactly, yeah. Which is, so- <laughs> it's, it's something. Uh, he's able to do that. You know, my favorite, my favorite non-single on Beer Bongs is kind of ridiculous. It's Stay, which is, it's a co-write with Andrew Watt, who works on a lot of post stuff, and he's proved himself like a really good study at jumping between hip-hop and rock and pop music and kind of right. just right. smashing all those together. He, did, he had a lot of co-writes on Plastic Hearts, the Miley album, obviously. Right, I was going to say, he's back to Miley again. Yep. Uh, yeah, so they're, they're all in the same universe. But, you know, for the first time I heard Stay, I was like, oh my God, like, this just, this sounds like, this sounds so boring to me. And then I watched a video of him performing a purely acoustic rendition of it with Andrew Watt at, of all things, a Bud Light branded concert. And I was like, wow, like, he's putting effort into this performance. Mm-hmm. It's clear that he cares about singing and performing, which is such a low bar to cross. But, like, you know, given, <laughs> given like, what we're being given lately from the music industry, like, it's, like, it's still impressive yeah. regardless. Tell me that it's all over. 
song but like whereas like i don't know something like rockstar or even like a lot of stony reminds me of more aggressive or misanthropic strains of new metal stay reminded me of incubus a lot like circa like morning view I think were one of the new metal acts where, you know, even though they had a very identifiably like male frontman, and that was very much part of the appeal, I think as far as all their fans were concerned, they didn't sound as aggressive. They sounded more thoughtful in the way that I'm sure Post Malone thinks of himself as thoughtful. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Like, you know, like... Uh, it does. I, I mean, uh, one thing that, you know, I was I was thinking about as I finished my 120 minutes listening to Beer Bongs and Bentley was... I don't know that it strikes me as like a successful album in the way that I would think about it as like an old fart, but maybe this is just, we need someone as boldly sort of post genre and willing to sort of like be decontextualized in the way that almost all pop music is at this mm. point where it's like, again, it kind of, it goes back to the Donald Trump thing, like kind of willing to take the bullets to sort of just be like, genre's not a thing anymore. I don't have any fealty to any Thing, any history, any anything. The boundaries of popular music as we once understood them as like separated and miscegenated out into like these sort of subgenres is over. The future of pop music is literally like this soup. He's sort of busting that door down in like not the most elegant way or the most like refined or interesting. He's not the best iteration of that, but he's a necessary inflection point in the fact that like the future of pop music is about sort of like the end of genre. Oh. Oh, oh, totally. And not just the end of genre, but the end of the album. Because, you know, I think right. I think with Beer Bongs, you, like, it's the first time that you get this sensation of, it's no longer about, is this a good album? It's about how many so- how many good songs are on this? Right. I, which Make is my own playlist, whatever. Like, you don't need to, you don't, you, it's not meant to be listened to for an hour and 20 minutes, which, like, is so, so abundantly clear to me now. <laughs> yep. I mean, I had this, I had a very similar sensation with Planet Her, the Doja Cat album, when it came out, where oh, it's like, fully, yeah. I, 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 there's like 10 songs on that record that I think are just incredible. Like, some of the best pop songs right. I've heard this year. But I don't think of it as a good right. album. Which is kind of a funny It's not enjoyable to listen to all the way through. And like not to mention every post, you know, if you're reading this, it's too late, Drake album. I mean, I guess more life maybe notwithstanding. I mean, Views, impossible to listen to all the way through. Mm. Scorpion, impossible to listen to all the way through. I mean, these are all albums that are like totally reinventing what the album means because they're out the album is no longer i mean and to me this is sad because i really like listening to albums yeah but there is a thing with at least within mainstream pop these albums are made to like kind of choose your own adventure and it's taken the meaning out of like constructing sort of like an album statement that like works as a fully realized piece of 45 minute hour long piece out of the equation entirely it's literally like how can I hit as many vectors as possible and like get on as many streaming playlists as possible and just kind of give people the sort of like tyranny of choice to make their own assessment of what's, which of these songs works for them and which doesn't. Totally. Post, I think this album in particular being such a huge success 
by being this sort of overlong, bloated, just playlisty, samey dirge, whatever the hell we're, we're trying to call it, really was a huge, I think, inflection point. Like the success of that data dump sort of album that Beer Bongs and Bentleys was, I think, had a seismic effect on the pop landscape. Yep. And I mean, going back to Stoney too, I mean, Stoney came out at the tail end literally the last month of 2016, which you can arguably make a good case for as the last year that the album really was important in pop music. You had Lemonade that year and you had right. you had right. Auntie, you know, yep. obviously in terms of construction and thematic sweep, both very diametrically opposite records that nonetheless use the album as, you know, somewhat of a virtue. I loved what you said in one of your pieces about Post Malone, where you said, it's hard to get truly agitated while listening to music that often turns corniness into its own weirdly endearing virtue. And what I what I took away from that, aside from the fact that Post Malone makes corny music, is the fact that the album and making a unified highbrow album is sort of like the pinnacle of taste. Yeah. in music you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it's like this is how like an artist's refined eye like creates a full body of work that's meant to be consumed as this highbrow fully realized item and like post malone both in his music and in his way he releases albums as he's data dumps is like sort of dispensing with the notion of taste you know what yeah, i mean like totally. it's just it's 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 just proudly tasteless which sort of circles back to what i was asking earlier or what i was sort of saying earlier which is like is Post Malone just sort of a necessary like missile is like that sort of like blowing up genre boundaries. It's blowing up the album and is not necessarily like the best iteration of what that could be, but is like a necessary force to sort of like move us forward in the pop conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's like, he's not the anti-hero that we wanted, but he's the anti-hero that we deserve. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, it's kind of what it is. It's kind of what it is. All right. So Beer Bongs and Bentleys becomes this giant hit. Post is now an undeniable centrist force in pop. He takes a couple years to release his follow-up record, which is called Hollywood's Burning. It comes out in 2019. And when I was revisiting it, to me, this is by far his most enjoyable, fully realized album. What I like about this album, and again, it's a huge success. It's 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 got m- many hit singles. Another sort of big streaming juggernaut. What I like about it, and I'm curious to hear your reaction to this. The music feels less muddled to me, and actually, the genre experiments feel more split off into the individual songs. Like, so you can actually kind of hear him like doing a full experiment instead of just this dirge. They're sort of like, oh my god, like here's Post Malone doing a Billy Joel song. So sad but true. Friends with all my demons The only one is season Too bad for you Here's Post Malone like doing like a like an Ozzy Osbourne song. Here's Post Malone like doing Post Drake song. Like here's you know it, it feels all kind of more split up. And then the other thing that I really like about Hollywood's Burning is the lightness. He's so fucking self serious on eighty to ninety five percent of both of those first two records that like makes it so hard to get through them on some level. There's like a lot of light hearted fun on Hollywood's Burning. Whether you're talking about the song with the baby, sorry not to bring him up. I'm holding I'm holding the sign of the cross up um but uh enemies you stab friends now i got enemies you should keep them close now they dead to me you stab friends now i got enemies enemies yes so sad you know it's a light kind of just a super like light-hearted jovial sort of bounce to it yeah you've got circles which is like essentially just like like an indie rock song almost sounds like foster the people or something like that
there's like there's there's a lot more balance in mood and texture. Um, and the songs are more way more distinct sounding to me in a way. And I think there's there's an, enough of the pressure taken off of sort of like that self seriousness that sort of bogs down some of the earlier albums that makes this album work much much better for me. How do you feel about it? I, I totally agree with your take though on it. I mean, like to me, it's like I feel like the previous two records are him i mean i don't think he has he has a statement of purpose on any of these but if you know for the sake of discussion (laughs) um if sony and beer bongs and bentley's are him very much being like you have no idea what i'm doing hollywood's bleeding is very much him being like so let me show you that i can do pretty much anything i want there is like a, a lighter touch to it even when he throws in somebody like ozzy osbourne into the mix i feel you crumble Like, you look at the collaborators here, Future, Meek Mill, Lil Baby, Halsey, there's no surprises. But And then you see Ozzy and you're like, huh? But it works. It works really well. It works. Not only does it work, but I think that Ozzy Osbourne song is absolutely the emblematic post song if you're going to point to one, just because mm. as you were getting at, it, like, on paper, it's an insane idea to have Post Malone Ozzy Osbourne and Travis Scott on one song together and you listen to it and it's like equal parts hip-hop pop R&B rock I mean it's like to me when I listened to that song I was like the fact that this works as well as it does speaks to whatever it is that Post Malone is doing that is allowing his entire career to function because this is a batshit idea and yet under the tent of Post Maloneism this functions and works well. So to me, that kind of, I, I, I hold that song in high esteem. So, okay, so we've talked about three Post Malone albums. I think we both have sort of shared that, like, this most recent one felt like as mu- as close to an artistic revelation as maybe we'll ever get from Post Malone. <laughs> but, like, if you had to say, looking back over it all, what are his strengths as a musical artist and a pop star? This is going to be a wild thing to say, but I think sincerity is a strength of his. I think that what you see with him is really what you get. And Mm. if there's not much there, I mean, that's because what you see is what you get, right? It's like, he's, Mm. I I, I don't think- There's not much there. (laughs) There's not much there. And like, and like, you know, that's like, that is what it is. Like, we've talked a lot about how Post Malone was adjacent to a lot of artists that were pretending to be something else or appropriating other cultures and, and black pop at large. And Post Malone is certainly more than guilty of that. But I don't think he's trying to pull a fast one on anybody with his Mm. music the way Mm -hmm. I get from- other pop stars, especially other pop stars that sound like him. You know what's you know what's really interesting that I just in response to what you're saying is 
one thing we've tracked a lot on this podcast so far is just like the growing imperative of authenticity mm. in pop stardom, or at least the illusion of authenticity. Yeah, like in when we were kids, you know, that was not a critical factor really at all. I mean, if you're thinking about Britney and Backstreet and all of these pop stars, where it was like okay, maybe they wanted to seem relatable in certain like artificial ways, but that was not something that we prized. And even in the pop stars of yore, like it was about superhuman talent. Like you think about somebody like a Beyonce, obviously, even Taylor to a certain degree with her songwriting. You think about Michael Jackson, obviously, like these larger than life virtuosic talents. It wasn't about like relatability and authenticity so much as it was about sort of like virtuosic showmanship. And also there was less of an aversion, I think, in the past because of, I guess, the way that like social media has broken down sort of how we relate to celebrity to the idea of something being manufactured, to the idea of something like being made perfect behind the scenes and then presented to you as like a perfect package. Now we live in an era where like authenticity is everything. Right. So when you talk about that with Post... That's a fascinating point because I think it is absolutely imperative for pop superstars these days to feel or at least register to fans as quote unquote authentic. So I think the what you see is what you get thing is absolutely genius because clearly that that theory extends to Post Malone as well in his own way, even if his music doesn't feel like particularly like nuanced or like autobiographical. I mean, it is, but like hits the same notes over and over again. It's not as like detail oriented as Olivia Rodrigo or Billie Eilish's music is, but you still feel that you're getting something that's like not put on, Um, which is fascinating even in the context of the hip hop conversation we were having earlier, because I do think as much as he was criticized for whatever, there's a fluidity to his relationship to, all of the genres of music he engages with that allows that all to work for him and not turn into something that gets him canceled. Yeah, and I mean, to bring us to like the the super current present, you know, the beginning of the pandemic, you know, everybody was kind of like toying around with like live streaming stuff and like, what are we, how are we going to do this? And I mean, it felt very cheap and insincere, almost upon impact. I think it took like three months for it all to feel very not novel. But mm-hmm. it, it, within those three months, Post Malone is like, I'm going to raise a bunch of money by covering Nirvana songs for 75 minutes mm. on a live stream with Travis Barker in the basement of my mansion. And I remember tuning in with a few friends over Zoom and being and us being like, all right, well, let's see how this goes. Like, this could be a total, a total goddamn disaster. And what happened was that he ended up doing 70, like 70 minutes of like deep Nirvana cuts, cuts like no teen mm-hmm. spirit, it felt very loose. It felt, but like it sounded good. Like he's like, they sounded mm-hmm. like good covers of Nirvana songs. And, you know, you got the impression that if Post Malone was like still in his parents' basement or whatever playing Guitar Hero and the pandemic started, he would probably just go get his friends in a case of Bud Light and cover Nirvana songs in his basement. And 100%. that was actually the moment for me as somebody who had liked his music decently up to that point that was the moment where i was like oh so like i, I kind of i think i kind of like this guy yeah <laughs> like, this right, is kind you of you begrudgingly so but i don't think he, i don't think he wants to win people over and the third thing he's just kind of doing him
So let's talk about the Pantheon. So Post Malone, I think one of the more interesting topics we've gotten into here is like, does Post Malone have fans? We're what, six years in, is Post Malone's Imperial phase ongoing or is it over? So I can share my thought of where I think Post Malone is, but I'm curious, like what tier of, of the Pantheon do you see Post Malone in? I see him in the I see him in the third tier. I see him in the mere superstar tier, and I see him squarely in the superstars yeah. of right now. I mean, he is. I mean, he is the sound of right now, and I think if he's going to be, yes. it's going to take a few years of him maybe not having success at this point. Like he's firmly ensconced in pop music. He's as recognizable of a face, quite literally, as as Drake is in in the world. He feels more imperial phase to me right now than Drake does. Oh, totally. I feel like we're very post, we're post Drake imperial phase. I think this latest album has kind of like solidified that to me. Yeah, I mean, like Hollywood's burning, uh, or Hollywood's bleeding rather is kind of like. I mean, I mentioned Planet Her before, but I'm, I'm thinking of, I, I think of Doja too, as I'm thinking of Post, where I'm like, Planet Her is kind of the Hollywood's bleeding, where I'm like, uh, for her, where I'm like, you can clearly do at, like a ton of different shit and just kind of like blow me away. And like now, I yeah. really want to see what Doja does next. And we're still on the ascent with Doja. Exactly. Though. We're yeah, still yeah, yeah. we're still going. We're we're on the ascent with Doja for sure. Yes. Whereas like I'm like I'm excited to see what she's doing next. I'm like morbidly curious to see what Post Malone is going to do next because <laughs> he's he, he's either going to have like he's he can either like make like maybe the best record of his career, capitalizing off of right. clearly knowing what he's doing now, or we're really going to see an emperor's new clothes situation where there was clearly yeah. not much there to begin with. <laughs> but He's square, square. I think he's emblematic tier three superstars of right yeah. now for sure. And like, I think if I was going to like be in, put that in the dictionary, I'd put his picture next to totally. it. Totally. Because we're like literally in year six. And again, it's like, I, I feel exactly the same way as you. I feel like we could, what happens with this next record is going to be very interesting and telling. Like, is it going to be sort of, I could see it almost like, could it be like more idiosyncratic? Could it be more personal? Could it be something that's like, like really furthering the narrative? Um, and maybe as you said, like making his most, his best record of his career, or I could just see like another data dumpy successful, but like the narrative, but sort of like the beginning of the narrative starting to just sort of sputter out. Yes. Kind of like, vibe and post malone does strike me as the kind of artist that could either surprise you and like have like a because he's surprised us in a lot of times in the past and have a much longer career than any of us would have thought or i could totally see him as like yep post malone defined 2017 to 2019 and that was kind of like the end of the story yeah you know i could really see it going either way go either way yeah yeah, yeah. i'm i'm again morbidly curious to see what direction it goes in. <laughs> great way to put it last question for you what is your like favorite underrated maybe something we haven't touched on yet post song that we can bring this out on uh staring staring at the sun the one with SZA on Hollywood's Bleeding I think I mean like I think SZA is maybe underrated at this point in terms of being a featured artist you know she laced that Maroon 5 single really nicely too (laughs) she like I and I, I love that Maroon 5 song yeah and that song has a nice kind of like call and response thing to it between the two of them as well i think it's like you know it, it's got kind of like a classic feel to it i, I listen i listen to that song constantly if i'm being honest like yeah great all song. the time great song all right so we'll go out on staring at the sun larry fitzmorris thank you so 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 much for being on the podcast thank you for having me if you keep staring at the sun you won't see what you have
that's it guys pop pantheon post malone tier three mere superstar and i feel like if as i said if we were going to put in the dictionary we'd put this guy's picture next to it so we'll see where he goes next could he be the definitional artist of this moment and nothing more or could he be someone that continues to surprise us i guess we'll see Many thanks to Larry Fitzmorris. What a fucking smart, incredibly insightful guest. Thank you so much for coming on and doing your best, I guess, or we did our best together to help each other understand this phenomenon. Thank you, thank you so much to Larry. Please follow, subscribe, rate, review, Pop Pantheon. Tell your friends, Instagram, tweet about it. Follow me on Twitter at DJLOUIEXIV. Follow Pop Pantheon Pod on Instagram. And I'll see you guys next week for the mini-sode and in two weeks for the next main episode. And until then, have a wonderful life. Okay, bye. Today is